0: your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans, if you would. Uh, Romans chapter 1, I would say probably one of the most uh, difficult passages of Scripture relating to our society that we live in today. Uh, I think of all the places in the New Testament you could go that would be considered possibly controversial, I think uh, Romans chapter 1 probably kind of takes the cake with that. And so uh, if you're here with us today for the first time, let me just tell you, today's going to be hard but it's only going to get harder. And so um, if you haven't yet read through Romans chapter 1, you should. Uh, if, if you've never read the book of Romans, it's a phenomenal book. We're, we're going to be going through it verse by verse probably over the next couple of years uh, on Sunday mornings. And so if you want to read ahead, read through the book of Romans chapter 1. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper as we go. Uh, and so we find ourselves in Romans chapter 1. Uh, we're going to spend the bulk of our time here today in uh, verse number uh, 18, uh, 19, and 20. We're going to back up for the sake of context and start reading in Verse number 13. So, again, up to this point, uh, Paul has kind of uh, said, Hey, guys, uh, I'm Paul, an apostle. Paul's never actually been to the church at Rome before, so he writes a letter. Uh, he says to him, Hey, I haven't been there to visit yet, but I hope to come and see you soon. Uh, and when I do, uh, I'm really excited about being there. I've heard about your faith throughout the whole world. Everywhere I go, people know about the church at Rome, what you've done, what you guys are doing, and your faith is made famous. Now, in addition to that, he says, I can't wait to get to Rome. I can't wait to preach the gospel uh, and tell people about Jesus. I'm looking forward to serving Jesus with you that I can be encouraged and that I can encourage you at the same time. Uh, then he goes on to say, verse number 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Uh, and then verse number 18, everything kind of turns a corner and goes into the wrath of God. Uh, and it goes from a... Uh, in- really encouraging letter at the beginning, the introduction to a very, very direct conversation from the very beginning. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves in kind of the beginning of the direct portion of the conversation, I guess you can uh, can say, if you will. Uh, so Romans chapter one, if you don't yet have the Hui Kala app, I would encourage you to download that. On the Hui Kala app, uh, we'll, you'll see uh, uh, the series for Romans. Click on today's message, uh, and then you click on fill in notes. That's going to open up a web browser for you with a list of everything you're going to see on the screen today. You can fill in notes as you you go, you'll see all the verses of everything we covered. If you want to download a PDF, you can do that through the app as well. Or if you just want to grab a sheet of paper and follow along and jot some thoughts down as we go through this, uh, that'll be really helpful too. Romans chapter 1, we're starting verse number 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as amongst the Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, So much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. Verse number 16 is a powerful verse. If you don't have this circled uh, in your Bible, you should circle it now. If you're using an app, you should highlight it. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. We're talking about something today that the, the word itself, uh, strangely enough, has become just the word, controversial when we talk about the word truth. Now again, we roll this back to just a few years ago where we began to uh, encounter new words in our vocabulary, things like your truth versus my truth. Uh, hey, you need the space to be able to speak your truth. Uh, I'm speaking my truth, uh, I'm going to respect your truth, uh, I'm going to give you an a- opportunity to say what's true for you, uh, I'm going to share what's true for me, and, and then we kind of got into this area where truth, its the word itself doesn't really mean anything. It might mean my opinion is, quote, my truth. But it's important to note that truth itself cannot be owned by anyone. You, you don't get the right to own the word truth. I don't get to own the word truth because truth belongs ultimately to God and God alone. This this is, uh, I believe, symptomatic of something that took place probably 20 years ago that I began to see. Little league sports where uh, every kid on the team got a trophy whether you won or not. Uh, there weren't winners. There weren't losers. Everybody gets a trophy because everybody here is winners. Uh, my, my, my son Vanderlei played soccer, uh, and he was terrible at it. Uh, and so, uh, But we, uh, we win anyways. But they didn't keep score because we don't want our kids to get in it to win. We want our kids to get in it to have fun. But let me just tell you, in sports, there's always going to be winners. There's always going to be losers. You can't both be winners. Now, you might have a case of a tie but when you have a tie, you don't have everybody wins or everybody loses. You have a winner, a loser, or you have a tie where no one wins. But we can't all win. There has to be a winner and a loser. And, and for, for me, you know, being the rebellious person that I am, I would always keep score myself. I got a little notepad there, I'll keep score. Uh, I tell my kids when I get in. He was like, hey, we won today. No, you didn't. You got crushed by 20. It's just like, no, everybody wins. You didn't. You lost today because that's not real. When it comes to truth, again, controversial, we can't all be right. Somebody has to be wrong. Now, again, not popular in our society today. If you're looking for a politically correct message, you came to the wrong place today because this is going to be, I'm talking controversial. Now, I want to say this from the outset. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. And if you walk out of here thumping your chest like, yeah, I'm right and everybody else is wrong, you've missed the entire point of the message today. You and I are not right. If anything, you and I are wrong the majority of the time. But please understand this, God is always right. God is always true. And so when we say that truth belongs to God, that's what we mean. You and I might agree with God, we might disagree with God, but at the end of the day, God is the source of truth. Now, by way of review, the last two weeks we talked about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is God's anger, His righteous judgment towards sin. If there was no sin, there would be no wrath. Uh, God is angry, and God judges in opposition to sin. So again, by way of review, uh, verse number 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We see that the the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and the wickedness of man. Now, that might appear on the surface to mean the same thing, but they're actually two different words. As Paul wrote the letter to the church at Rome, he wrote it in the Greek language, and the words that he chose for uh, the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men were two different words. Ungodliness deals with our sin against God, while unrighteousness of men deals with our sin against others. And so, basically, this kind of covers the spectrum of sin. Whether you and I sin against God Whether you and I sin against our fellow man, uh, we're in the same boat in the fact that we're guilty before God, and God's wrath, his righteous judgment is upon us because of that. It's also important to understand that you can't disconnect our relationship with God and our relationship with other people as well. Our relationship with God always affects those around us. The vertical affects the horizontal. Let me just say, this is not the point of today's message but I'm going to say this because I want to help you with something. Men, you cannot be a man of God for your family, for your wife, for your children, for your workplace, if your relationship with God is messed up. It just doesn't work that way. You can't be the husband that you need to be. You can't lead your children the way that you should if your relationship with God is not right. Women uh, that have children, you can't be the, the mom that you need to be without a, a right relationship with God. If you're, if you're married, you can't be the wife you need to be for your husband if your relationship with God is not right. <laughs> Single adults or those without children might be like, whoo, I'm off the hook. No, 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 no. You can't be a man or woman of God if your relationship with God is not right. It messes up everything around you. Let me just tell you this. If you're sinning against God, that's going to hinder your relationship with other people as well. And let me just tell you this. If you're sinning against a holy God, chances are you're sinning against your fellow man as well. Again, for you to say, I'm a Christian, but not act like a Christian, to claim to be something that you're not a Christ follower, when you really aren't following Christ the way that you should, simply means that you're double-minded. And James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable how? Anybody want to help me? In all of his ways. Everything in your life is messed up. If you can't get your relationship with God right. Now again, not the point of this, this particular text, but it goes without saying You need to make sure that your relationship with God is right if you want to have a right relationship with those around you as well. Now we see verse number uh, 17. We see that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. The gospel speaks of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. It breaks down like this. You and I have broken God's law. Because we've broken God's law, we stand guilty of the consequences. What are the consequences? The wages of sin is death. You and I have broke God's law, so now we stand in danger of God's judgment and, here's our word of the week, wrath. God's wrath, his punishment against sin, means that you and I will die and go to hell when we die for all of eternity. That's what we deserve. I deserve it. You deserve it. We, we, we did the crime. We've got to do this time. But God loves you, God loves me so much that he doesn't want us to die and go to hell. God doesn't want us to suffer for all of eternity separated from God, so he made a way for us to come to him. God says this, you break my law, someone has to die. Either you can die and pay for your sins or someone else can die in your place. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, I'm willing to die on behalf of of the sins of mankind. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus became my sin, became your sin, endured the wrath of God, paid the penalty of our price on the cross, therefore showing God's righteousness. Now, if you're here today and you've never been saved or born again, let me tell you what that means. That means that the penalty of your sin is still on your shoulders. There has to be a time in your life where you've been saved or born again. It's a one-time deal. And Jesus said this in John chapter 3. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. It's a time, a date, a place in your life where you recognize, I've sinned against God. I've broken God's law, and I, I, I deserve to go to hell. But I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on my behalf. I believe he's the only way to heaven, and I'm asking him to save me and forgive me. And if you've done that, you're saved. If there's never been a time in your life where you've done that, let today be that day. It's not a matter of becoming a Baptist. It's not a matter of joining our church. It's not about getting baptized or taking a class or answering a bunch of questions or going through an interview process. It's a simple act of faith and repentance. Faith means I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. And repentance is I'm asking him to forgive me and I'm turning away from my sins. Now, again, doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. It means that we're going to be forgiven from here on out. But, friend, please understand this. If there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved, John 3, 36 is really clear. He who hath the Son, those who have been born again, hath life. But he who hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Your punishment is 100% on your shoulders, and the day you take your last breath here on planet Earth, it's only God's punishment for eternity, his wrath. And so we see... The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Again, take a look at verse number 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But verse 17, for therein, therein the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And so the gospel reveals God's righteousness, but the righteousness of God reveals the wrath of God. So we get to to verse number 17, which talks about the righteousness of God, but then the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So now we see, because God loves righteousness, those who do right, those who follow the law, God loves them so much that he has to judge unrighteousness. God loves righteousness, therefore he must judge unrighteousness, and that's his wrath. And so his righteousness then reveals God's wrath. It's part of his character. It's who he is. God has to judge sin. Again, if you remember, if there is no sin, there is no wrath. If there is no sin, there is no judgment. But then we see that the wrath of God also reveals the righteousness of God. And so, again, this might sound circular, but it's kind of like this. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The wrath of God also reveals the righteousness of God. So everything comes back to the point of God is righteous, God is holy, God is without sin. If sin comes, God's going to judge it because God just loves righteousness and justice. That's who he is. But the problem that you and I have is wrath. Now again, if we take a look at verse number 18, we've already seen this, the first part. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness... And unrighteousness in men, sin against God, sin against man, but also those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That word hold means to hold down, to suppress, to grab a hold of, to resist, to arrest, to push away the truth. For what purpose? To continue in unrighteousness. So it's important we define terms before we get started. When the Bible speaks of truth... We're primarily speaking of the moral truth that belongs to God alone. There's different types of truth. Uh, there's ontological truth, what we can observe by taking a look at nature. Uh, we can look outside and see that grass is green. That's an ontological fact. Uh, that's truth. That's not necessarily what we're talking about when the Bible speaks of truth. There are logical facts. One plus one uh, equals two. Two. Uh, If you hit your hand with a hammer, it's going to hurt. That's logical. It makes sense. We look at that and we say, these things are true. So when we talk about truth, we're talking about capital T truth. We're talking about moral truth that belongs to God. What is right? What is wrong? How do we fix what's broken when we've gotten things wrong? And how do we maintain righteousness? And... All that is defined for us in Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, that's what's right. For reproof, that's what's wrong. For correction, that's how to fix what's wrong. And for instruction in righteousness, that's how to stay righteous. So again, when we take a look at God's Word, when we take a look at truth... That's what we're talking about. We're talking about capital T truth. That belongs to God and God alone. Psalm 89, verse number 14, justice and judgment are habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Psalm 146, verse number 6, which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's therein, which keepeth truth forever. So we see that God is the author of truth. He's referred to in the Bible as the God of all truth. And so even factual things like how uh, the, the sky is blue, uh, you know, that we live on the earth, all those that are even logical or ontological facts, we say those go back to the creation of who God is. We have the capability to understand even creation as we see it. We have the ability to process things logically only because God has given us that ability because at the end of the day, he's the God of all truth. That's important to understand, and again, this is going to become controversial in our society that we live in today, but how many of you know if we choose to be biblical Christians in today's society, we're going to be controversial figures? Again, if you think that by being a biblical Christian, you're going to get brownie points and people are going to cheer for you and throw you a parade and have a party uh, in your honor, it's just not going to happen. As we continue this slide away from truth, capital T truth, as a society, things will get increasingly more difficult for you and I. There's coming a day where some of the things that I'm going to say today are going to be labeled hate speech in our society and are going to be falling out of favor. We already see that taking place in in Canada. Canada is probably about a good 20 years in front of us as far as liberalism goes. Same thing's coming for the United States of America. Just say that. But let me just tell you this. At the end of the day, I'm not trying to be politically correct. I'm not trying to stand in good favor of our society. I'm trying to be accurate to what does the Bible say. And please understand, as a Christian today, you're going to have to make a choice. I'm either going to stand with God's word or I'm going to stand with society because you can't do both. If they're in opposition to each other, you've got to pick a side. But when it comes to truth, truth is objective, not subjective. Truth is what it is and does not change. For example, we take things like, like logical facts. Water is wet. Doesn't really matter what you think about that. Doesn't matter how you feel about that. The truth is the truth. It doesn't change based on the day of the week. It doesn't change based on the seasons. It doesn't change based on uh, time or how much time has passed since that fact has become truth. Truth is objective, not subjective. Again, when we say truth, capital T truth, we're talking about true for every person on planet Earth throughout all time and space. This truth is holds and, is, and it stands. The problem with today, though, is that truth is not objective. You have your truth, I have my truth. That's true for you, it's not true for me. Now, again, we, we sometimes take the word truth and we use it as a synonym sometimes for opinions. Well, I believe that Honolulu is one of the greatest cities in the world to live. That's my truth. That's not your truth, it's your opinion. It's not backed up by logical facts that are true for everyone. So again, sometimes we confuse those things. I I believe that, you know, women should have autonomy over their own body. That's my truth. That's not your truth. That's your opinion. But again, we've come into a society where we become individually the arbiters of of truth. You determine what's right. I'll determine what's right. And then if we disagree, then we'll just choose to have differing truths. But the fact of the matter is, is that you don't determine truth. I don't determine truth. God's word determines truth. And so, again, the, the Bible says uh, in Psalm 119, verse number 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word is settled. It didn't change. We don't need a new revision to the Bible to keep up with today's times. We don't need an addendum to the Bible. God's word is forever settled in heaven. What he said, he said, and he's not taking it back. Again, here's a hard truth when it comes to Truth. Somebody has to be wrong. Somebody's wrong. I had the opportunity to to share the gospel probably three years ago now with a a woman who was Buddhist. And I said, what happens when we die? And she gave her answer of Buddhism, you know, that, you know, possibly reincarnated, but possibly one day you go to this place of, you know, nirvana where everything's good and, you know, that everything's happy and there's no pain and no hurt and it's just Good times. Okay, good. I said, what happens to me when I die? I'm not a Buddhist. So, What happens to me when I die? And she goes, well, I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm sure you go wherever Christians go. I got a puzzled look on my face, and I said, so how many different eternal destinations are there then if there's one for Buddhists and one for Christians? And she sat there for a minute, and she kind of smiled, and she was like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? I said, no, it doesn't make any sense at all. And she goes, I've never thought about that before. Oh, think about it. According to the Bible, there's heaven and hell. Those who believe in Jesus and have received him as Savior go to heaven. Those who reject him or have never heard go to hell. And she goes, well, uh, I mean, I guess that's what Christians believe. And I said, well, one of us has to be wrong. And she goes, well, not necessarily. Yeah, necessarily. Because... You can't determine what happens after this life, and then I have a differing opinion, and we're both right. And again, that's just where we're at in today in a pluralistic society. Everybody can be right. You know, that's good for you, but it's not good for me. At the end of the day, somebody has to be right, somebody has to be wrong. Now, it's important to note, I had a good conversation with our teenagers, I had the opportunity to to teach our teens probably, I don't know, two months or so ago, and I was talking to them about our beliefs as Christians, and I said, is there a possibility that what we believe is wrong? man, they, they looked at me like I was speaking heresy and blasphemy. Like, Is it a possibility that Christianity is fake, the Bible's wrong, and there is no God? Is that possible? And so I ran around the the, the circle and had everybody answer. And so I started with the girls, and the girl's like, no, 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 absolutely not, no. Then I get to one of the guys, and he was just like, yeah, it's possible that we're wrong. Everybody's like, oh, you, you got to be kidding me. Then I get to the next person, there's they're like, Well, if we're talking about this, then it could be yes. If we're talking about that, it could be no. And it's like, no, 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 yes or no answer. It's just like, no, there's no way that we're wrong. They get back to me, and it's like, what's my answer? My answer is, yes, there's a possibility that we're wrong. Now, again, some of you are scratching your head going, well, that's not encouraging. Please understand this. What we believe, we don't believe because it's factual or because we've seen it. We believe it by faith. Now, how strongly do I believe that I'm right? With every fiber of my being, I believe that I'm right. And I believe that I'm so right, not because I'm super smart, but because I believe God's word to be true, every single word of it to be true. I'm willing to stake my life, my eternity, my family's life, my family's eternity, and every single person that I come in contact with on a daily basis, I'm willing to stake our entire eternity on the fact that there's no way in the world that I'm wrong about this. But it's still faith. You can't get away from that. So again, when it comes down to truth, somebody's got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong, I'm willing to bet my life on the fact that God's word is true cover to cover every single word that he ever spoke is factual but that's still a matter of faith but somebody has to be wrong truth doesn't change based on acceptance or rejection doesn't matter what you think about it doesn't matter what i think about it what does god say about it <laughs> that's why again whenever if you ever go to a church where the pastor stands up and says oh, you know, last night I was getting ready for bed and God gave me a word to share with you today. And I just wanted to, a little little, little word. I was just thinking about the word grace last night. I going not tell you what I think about that word grace. Run, run, run as fast as you can to a place that will open the Bible and not tell you what they think about a word that God gave them last night. And they'll tell you what God's word, which is forever settled in heaven, has to say. You need to be in a Bible-preaching church, not some Bible-ish goofiness like that. Come on. God didn't give me a word. God gave me the word of God. That's all I need. And to say that we need extra-biblical revelations is just to say that the Bible isn't sufficient in itself, which is false. But... It doesn't matter if you believe the Bible or not, it's true. It doesn't matter if I reject the Bible or not, it's true. Let me just tell you this, I'll be really honest with you this morning. And again, this might sound blasphemous or heretical, I'm just shooting you straight. There's parts of the Bible that I don't like. Because they contradict what my carnal, sinful nature wants to do. There's parts of the Bible that I wish weren't there. I wish God didn't send people to hell. But I can't reject the fact that God sends people to hell because it makes me feel uncomfortable. Because when I decide what's true and what's false, then God's no longer God, I am. The Bible isn't true any longer, my interpretation or view of the Bible now becomes the capital T truth. That's problematic. If the Bible's uncomfortable, let it be uncomfortable. If you don't like parts of the Bible, ask God to change your heart. But whether you accept or reject truth doesn't change the fact that it's true. Imagine this. I don't believe that water's wet. Well, you're wrong. No, I'm not. You can't tell me that I'm wrong. That's my truth, and I'm sticking to it. Bro, water's wet. Like, jump in the shower and see if you stay dry. You can't tell me. That's my truth. Even though I'm covered in water, I'm still dry. Well, that's the opposite of dry if you're covered in water. You don't have the right to tell me if I'm dry or not. You're such a hydrophobe. Like, y- you, you hate people who want to stay dry. You know? You're, you're so judgmental, and you don't have the right to tell me. And again, we have a culture that redefines words. I was listening to, a, a, I was reading a book this past week, and the, the author said this, that we live in a society that takes words out of the dictionary, redefines them, and then reinjects them back into our vocabulary. Where the words that they're using aren't what the word actually means. It's a new definition of the word. And again, that's dangerous because we're we're meddling with truth because we don't like what it says. And truth, but truth doesn't change whether or not we accept it or reject it. You see, truth doesn't change only our standards by which we measure truth changes. 15 years ago, a group of scientists known as the International Astronomical Union voted to make the definition of planets more specific, and Pluto no longer made the cut. Pluto, when I was a kid, man, was a planet. Pluto's no longer a planet. Pluto is now known as a dwarf planet because its size is not large enough to qualify it as a planet any longer, not because Pluto changed... Please get this, not because Pluto changed, but our definition of what makes a planet changed. So Pluto never changed, but how we interpret what Pluto is has changed. And so what does that have to do with anything? God's truth never changes. We just move the measuring rod out however we want to. We begin to say things like, the Bible says one of the qualifications of a pastor, 1 Timothy chapter 3, is that he's be the husband of one wife. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, don't let women preach in church or have authority over men, usurp authority over men. That's what the Bible says, right? Now again, not my opinion, not what I think about it, what the Bible says. Fast forward, you know, 1900 years, and we begin to say things like, well, it's kind of sexist. That doesn't fall in line with, with what is popular in our society today. So you have groups like the United Methodist Church, which uh, was started by uh, Charles uh, Wesley. Incredible gospel preaching church for its infancy. 1968 decided they're going to start ordaining female pastors in violation of Scripture. Sinful. Why? Because that was written in a time where it wasn't appropriate to ordain female pastors, So, but now it is appropriate. And so we're changing. So you take that in 1968, fast forward to where we are today, United Methodist Church is now in another denominational split towards the more progressive and the more conservative. More conservatives say, we don't want to ordain homosexual or transgender clergy. The progressives says, oh, no, we should include them. So what happened? Did God's truth change? No, only the way we measure it. Here's what happened to the United Methodist Church. In 1968, they took the word of God, which is very clear, and they said... We're going to sit this over to the side right here. What do you think? I think we should have female pastors. I think it's a great idea. Anybody else think about that? Great idea. Let's all vote on it. Yeah, because it's a matter of what we think. God's word's been set to the side. And so when you set God's word to the side, there's no longer a standard of, here's the word, truth. It's a matter of what I think, what you think. How I I interpret things. How you interpret things. What's good for our society. And you see churches around America that are built today in a matter of, what can we do to get more people in seats on a Sunday morning? Well, we should have, you know, a shorter service time. Okay, well, we'll keep the message down to 15 minutes. Like, 15 minutes? That's not even a good introduction. What are you talking about? Uh, Like, I'm just getting things rolling at like 15 minutes, you know? Um, So what are we going to do? We're going to have the music that we have... People don't identify with that, so we're going to have rock music in our services. No lie. One of the largest churches in Atlanta, Georgia, like last year, had a full-on 10-minute, as their opening service, for their worship service, a Led Zeppelin medley. And the the dude had some pipes on it. I mean, he gave Robert Plant a run for his money. Um, He said, who's Robert Plant? Ask my wife. She'll tell you all about it. Uh, But... Talented, good, but it it was interesting to me to watch as the opening song of the quote worship service was a, a medley of, you know, ramble on and stairway to heaven. The people that stood didn't know if they should clap, if they should sing along, if they should be seated because anybody with a shred of biblical understanding would realize, hey guys, while this might be entertaining, this isn't really worship but hey people had a good time the band was great the singer super talented what happened we took the bible to the side where it's no longer the standard it's a matter of like hey what do you think and we became the arbiters of truth and so truth doesn't change only the way we measure truth changes And we need to be really, really careful as we educate our children that we don't allow them to read textbooks that come from a revisionist history. Look, America was built because of religious liberty. Look, you can go back and study it for Probably 500 years that are known as the Dark Ages, from about 1000 uh, AD to about 1500 AD, 50 million Christians were put to death because of their faith. 50 million Christians were put to death. Then the Protestant Revolution came, or the Protestant Reformation came. It became a little bit more okay to be a church outside of the Catholic Church. Then they began to set up state churches, the Church of England, which was basically Catholicism Light. Uh, you have uh, Lutheranism, which ca- became the state uh, um, a religion of Germany. You have Presbyterians, uh, who became the, uh, the uh, state church of uh, Scotland. And then you have these people who just want to worship Jesus without any government oversight, and they couldn't find a place to do this. You know what they did? They got on a boat, and they came across the Atlantic Ocean, and they landed to a place where they could just finally just worship Jesus however they wanted to. That's the founding of America. You can't get around that unless you rewrite history. And you say, oh, these people were looking for gold. They were looking for wealth. They were looking to make a name for themselves and and become rich and set up their own kingdom. No, they weren't. That's revisionist history. That's not true. America was founded on Christian values, Christian religion, and once upon a time, it was a Christian nation. You can't get around that unless you change truth. We've got to be really, really careful with that. Again, I believe uh, that, I'll just say this. This has nothing to do with today's message, just helpful advice from your pastor. I believe if you have the capability to, to homeschool your own children and do it well and teach them everything that they need to know, you're in a really good spot. The best teachers that your kids will ever have are their parents, bar none. But if not, Christian education, I believe, is a great opportunity If you send your kids to public school, I would read every single solitary thing that comes from that, or non-Christian school, every single thing that gets sent home. My daughter Makili attended a school for dyslexic kids because she has dyslexia, and when they said, oh, we're going to have a health class to talk about sex, I want to see the curriculum, send it home. Well, you're the only parent to ask. That's fine. And? Well, you know, she'll be able to come home and tell you, no, 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 no. I don't want my child to be indoctrinated and then come home, I have to unwind all that. I want to know what she's being taught because I want her to know the truth. And so again, be very, very careful with that. You see, if we create our own truth, it becomes problematic because when it comes to truth, there has to be an infallible criterion of truth. I remember talking to a, a Hindu man from India, man, probably 15 years ago now. I'll never forget as long as I live, His name was Vinod. asked him a lot of questions about India and religion. He'd grown up in a Hindu family. I began to share with him Jesus. He said, oh, I I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Brilliant. Never met a Hindu who loved Jesus. Tell me more. He's like, wisest leadership guru to ever walk the face of the planet. I mean, just the thing, have you, he asked me, have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? (laughs) Yes, I have. He's just like, oh, I think if the world followed the Sermon on the Mount, it would just be a better place. Oh, I agree. I agree. So I'm, I'm thinking like, man, we're making a really good headway with this, you know. Well, Jesus is the Son of God. He's like, no, he wasn't. Yeah, he was. No, he wasn't. Jesus was just uh, a guy who claimed to be God, but he wasn't really God. Now now our, our roads are split. And the more we begin to talk, he's like, hey, I'm willing to receive Jesus as as. One of my deities that I believe in. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. To receive Jesus, you have to disavow every other deity. Commandment number one, no other gods are before me. Jesus wants to be number one and the only one. And he's like, yeah, I can't really do that. Okay, then that's where we diverge. And he says, I don't see how you can be so sold on what you believe. And I said, Vinod, let me explain to you this way. There has to be something that's true for everyone in the entire world. Like, regardless of where you go, what culture you go to, everything that is true. I said, for example, killing people. Is that acceptable or unacceptable? He goes, well, obviously unacceptable. In what culture, though? He goes, any culture in the world is unacceptable. Okay, I'm with you. Is it okay to steal? And he goes, no. In what culture? Any culture. Is it okay to have sex with another man's wife? He goes, of course not. Any culture in the world, that's not okay. Good. We're getting somewhere. Here's the thing. All those things that I just outlined, just those three things, all of those are part of God's law. And he said, yeah, that's the thing is the majority of people in the world that follow these laws have never even heard of God or his laws. Oh, we're really getting somewhere now we haven't gotten here yet as a church because it's in Romans chapter two, that when those that don't know Christ do the things that are contained in the law, it's because God's already written his law on their heart. They know why, because God has shown his law to every man so that they know that it's wrong because they're following God's law. And I said, God's law is true for everyone everywhere and whatever God says is always right. Right? He goes, well, I don't agree with that. Then then how do we agree what is true and what's false? There has to be one source that we come back to that we can all agree is always true all the time for all people throughout all human history across every single culture. And he said, well, I'm okay with the Ten Commandments being that. (laughs) That's the word of God, man. And he's just like, wow. Again, single, infallible, Criterion of truth. So we would say that's the Word of God. It informs every single decision we make. It's our sole authority for all matters of faith and practice, the Word of God. Now, it's important to understand, though, that the truth is not something simply to believed, to be believed, but to be obeyed. I'm going to ask you a question. If you agree with the statement that I'm getting ready to say, I want you to say, "Amen." The word "Amen" means we agree. Jesus Christ is Lord. If you believe that, say "Amen." Amen. amen. Okay. If you didn't say that, we got some work to do, or you just weren't paying attention. Either way, uh, I'm, I'm I'm okay with that. Okay, the word "Lord" means master, boss. Whatever he says goes. If he tells you so- to do something. You just say, yes, sir, and get it done. You don't backtalk. You don't gripe. You don't decide to do your own thing. If Jesus Christ is Lord, you just do what you're told 100% of the time. Now, I'm not asking you to say amen to that. Are you following that to a T? The answer is probably not. So then the question comes, do you really believe that to be so? Again, our beliefs aren't what we say they are. Our beliefs are actually what we do. Because what you believe is shown in how you behave. Again, we want to create our own narrative of things. For example, uh, I believe that R-rated movies are harmful for Christians, adults, children, everybody to watch. Not good. If a group of unsaved guys in a room can sit and watch a movie and say, too much cursing, too much sex. We're going to rate this for mature audiences only. I don't think Christians should, should be involved in stuff like that. You so you left out violence. I, hey, look, the Bible's a violent book. I don't, I don't have necessarily a problem with violence and war or, or justice and things like that. I think, again, horror flicks where it's a gore factor I think is problematic. But again, when you read somebody takes a tent spike and runs it through some guy's temple. That's a Bible story, you know. It's a It's intense. But again, that's just a standard that we have. Now, imagine I say, I tell our kids, R-rated movies are harmful, we don't watch that kind of stuff in our house. And then I send my kids to bed, and my wife and I sit down and watch R-rated movies in our living room. Is that really something we believe, or is that just what we're telling people we believe? See the difference? It's called hypocrisy, where you put on a face, a front of what you say you believe, but inside you know you really don't believe that, and and you behave differently. So your belief determines your behavior 100% of the time. John chapter 3, verse number 19, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil, hateth light, neither cometh the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Hey, we say that we love light, but actually we don't. We want it to be dark so we can do what we want and nobody sees. And when the light comes, we try to push out the light because we don't want to be seen what we're actually doing. So again, it's important when it comes to truth that whatever you believe to be true has to impact your behavior as well. I came across this quote years ago, and I've, I've, I've socked it away. It's so good. Immorality in life proceeds from apostasy in doctrine. The word apostasy means a falling, a falling away from or a pushing away from. Doctrine is a body of truth that we hold to. Look, if we set the Bible to this side, there's no rules anymore. This is why our society says, hey, if you're not happy with your wife, you should totally get a girlfriend that will make you happy. Why? Because the Bible isn't truth. Our feelings become truth. No shame in doing what makes you happy. Yeah, because I become the source of truth. <laughs> the Bible says you're not commanded to be happy, you're commanded to be Holy. But again, what truth are we listening to? One author put it this way, sinful men oppose the idea of a holy God because they innately realize that such a God would hold them accountable for the sins they love and do not want to relinquish. (laughs) Hey, look, if there is a God in heaven and he wrote a book that we're supposed to follow, that means I have to follow it or there's consequences. It's a lot easier to say, I don't believe in God. A lot easier to do that. I can sleep well at night pretending like there's no God, rather than knowing that there's a God and I'm 100% accountable for the consequences of my sin. So when it comes down to truth, we only have two options, really, obey or disobey. Those are your only options. I told my kids this, and I'll tell you this, and there's kids in here this morning, you need to listen up to this. Delayed obedience is disobedience oh yeah i'm gonna follow god when everything settles down at work no you're not oh i'm gonna follow god after you know i get done with college no you're not i'm gonna follow god when no you're not you're living in disobedience until you choose to follow god i'll also give you this give this to my kids as well partial obedience is also disobedience Well, I'll follow God as much as is convenient for me. Then just say, I don't want to follow God. I want to follow myself. And again, when you decide what's true, what's not true, what you're going to follow, what you won't follow, what's right, what's wrong, you become the arbiter of truth. Now, should we choose to disobey the truth? The only option that we have is to come up with our own version of the truth. This is where our society lives today, this is where we're at as a society. If I choose to disobey capital T truth, I have to come up with my own story of what is lowercase t true. For example, if I reject the idea that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, he spoke it into existence, everything we see was created by God in six days, and it continues to subsist by the power of Jesus Christ. If I don't believe that, I've got to come up with a better story. So, there's two magical space rocks that were hurtling through space that happened to find each other. They collided and made a large, massive explosion that created the solar system as we know it. Then... Each of these individual unique ecosystems began to grow life over a period of billions and billions of years. And you and I went from being single cell amoebas swimming around in the water to living, breathing human beings that are able to to procreate and make sense of some of the most difficult problems in the history of mankind. Okay, cool story, bro. One question Where did the space rocks come from? Who created those? There had to be something that created those unless there's an uncreated being out there who always has been. Now, we're going to get into all that crazy stuff next week. I haven't even gotten there yet. But again, mind you, if I don't like the truth that I'm presented with, I've got to make up my own version of the truth, and here's what I've got to do. I have to take the existing capital T truth that there is, and I have to hold it down. I have to repress it. I have to push it away so that my truth can be elevated. See what I did there? That's what it means in, in Romans chapter one, verse number twenty. Those who who held the truth in unrighteousness. Those who hold the truth it means to hold down, repress, arrest, grab a hold of, put away the actual truth. And again, this is where we are in our society today. So again, super unpopular. In our society, I get it. I'm not trying to be ugly or inflammatory. I'm just trying to talk about capital T truth today. When you take a man and put him in a women's bathing suit and put him on a women's swim team and he decimates every single collegiate record known to man and then we applaud and say, look how far women have come. We're taking the truth and we're suppressing it so that a new truth can be elevated in its place. And then I think people who really hold to capital T truth and people who even aren't Christians look around and go, this isn't true. This is a man in a women's bathing suit. And then you have ESPN who says, this is one of the greatest achievements in sports history since Jackie Robinson. Wait, what? And if you don't agree with that, you're hateful, Ugly, you're a bigot, you're a transphobe, every other name in the book that they can imagine to throw at you, to label you. I just saw this past week that Penn State took this man and nominated him as the NCAA Woman of the Year. They have one nomination, they gave it to this man. What does that say to the other women who worked harder? You're not valued. And so again, this is not my opinion. This is truth. Again, we need to, again, to be able to get away with these new truths that are coming, we have to suppress the current truth that's there. You with me? Again, taking words, taking them out, redefining them, re-injecting them back in. Gender and sex, if you want to call it that, is a social construct It's something society made up to determine how a person feels or how they dress or how they display themselves. That's not true at all because, and again, this is not an ugly statement. This is not a hateful statement. This is not even a political statement. It's a biblical statement. God created them male and female. That's what God did. That's true because God said it. God created man out of the dust of the earth and took a rib out of a man while he slept and created woman. There was no additional gender. There's never been a transgender person in the history of mankind. But again, to say that is to be hateful, unloving, unkind, because we now have this new word, uh, gender, that we've redefined, re-injected back into society where it doesn't mean what you thought that it meant. It didn't mean what your grandparents thought that it meant, because they're old school. You want to be progressive, right, in your thinking. And here's the worst part that's happened. The church at large has gobbled it up. And we just can't call sin what it was anymore. And and again, please understand everything that I just said, I I believe 100% from Scripture, not my opinion or my thoughts on it. But there's coming a day where you can't say that in America, where people are coming for nonprofit licenses, where people are calling hate speech and things like that. But again, we have to suppress the truth to be able to come up with our own truth. For example, God created life in the womb. God says, when I knit you together in your mother's womb, I knew your name. I knew who you were. I already had a plan laid out for your life when you were in your mother's womb. So to take a child who's eight and a half months formed in their mother's womb, take its life, suck it out with a vacuum cleaner, to do that we have to create our own story where that's acceptable because that's not true. That's life, and when you take life, it's called murder, not a political statement, biblical statement, and so again, to do that, we have to create our own narrative to make things like that okay. I talked with someone a few weeks ago, and they said, uh, well, I just don't believe that, that I, I'm more of a, I'm a Christian, but I'm pro-choice. I said, those two statements are at odds with one another. You can't be an honest, biblical Christian who understands the Bible and say that women have a right to, to choose when to end life. You just don't. And he said, well, I believe in cases of, of rape or incest uh, that, you know, the woman should have a right to choose. Okay, now we're getting into what some might call a gray area. I don't believe there's gray areas with God. I believe it's re- really cut and dried. I said, but if that's what you believe, did you know abortions in America, rape and incest account for less than 1% of all abortions in, in America? Less than 1%. So I said, what about the other 99%? He goes, "Well, well, I believe in those cases that it should... should be be wrong. Okay, then you are 99% pro-life and like maybe 1% pro-choice. But again, to create this narrative that women lose access to, quote, health care, that's just a story that's just not true. To say that women have autonomy over the life that's in them just isn't true according to the Bible. Now again, I'm not trying to make political statements. I'm just trying to lead you back to truth. And some of you might be sitting here like, like I'm never coming back to this church again as long as I live. Please understand, you're not rejecting this church. You're rejecting biblical truth. And I'm going to ask you just ask God to show you what is true. Because, again, these are not my opinions. These are my thoughts. I wouldn't give you $2 for my opinions. It's not worth anything. God's word is truth. And so, again, truth has become a dangerous word to use. But if we choose to disobey the truth, come up with our own version of the truth, we have to suppress the truth. And as we disobey the truth, we're going to continually be met with truth. You can't get around it. Truth doesn't go away because you stick your head in the sand. Did you know that there is a whole section of therapy and psychology to post-abortion mental wellness care? If it's so harmless, why do we have to counsel people through it? Because they made up their own truth and realized that that wasn't true at all. I saw something last year. It was so utterly, it it literally made me nauseous. A woman, instead of having a baby shower at her workplace, had a baby abortion shower where they had cupcakes uh, and, and things like that that celebrated the taking of life. And I thought to myself, God help us. God forgive our nation that we make so light of the thing that God has created. And look to every woman, my wife included, who has tried to conceive. And every single month, that time of the month comes and you realize it wasn't this month, it wasn't this month. And at times you, you think you're late and you take that pregnancy test and it's still negative. And your heart breaks to watch someone so flippantly take life and not give it a second thought. When you would want nothing more in the world than to be able to love a child. Again, it just flies in the face of truth. Again, you want to take a look at demographics of the highest suicide rates in America, 15 to 25-year-olds that fall into the category of of gay and transgender. Highest suicide rates in the United States. Why? Because they thought they'd found the truth and realized that they didn't. Didn't fix anything at all. And again, people want to flip the script on biblical Christians who say they bought into a lie. Oh, no, you didn't accept them. Hey, look... Gay and transgenders are at a height, a peak of societal acceptance like we've never been before. That's not the issue any longer. The issue is now that people realize what is truth. Because if you choose to disobey the truth, you to come back to realize that the truth is what it is. For every guy that decides to leave his family because he found some hot new chick on the Internet or at his office, he's going to be one day confronted with real deal, capital T, truth, and realize he has made a grave mistake that he can't go back and fix. So again... When you choose to create your own version of the truth, you're setting yourself up for failure. And again, this isn't something, it's easy to again to to point fingers at the sins of society, but for every guy who continues to look at pornography, every woman that continues to look at pornography because they're not getting what they need from your spouse, you've created your own version of the truth. And it's only a matter of time before that truth is reckoned with real deal biblical truth. You decide you want to cheat on your taxes because the government takes too much in taxes anyways. You're going to be confronted with truth, capital T, truth. You can't get around it. You can't make excuses for your sin because your sin requires God to judge it. When we push back against truth and suppress truth, we encounter God's wrath. No two ways about this. Ungodliness, unrighteousness of man, and those who hold down and suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You can't get around that. And again, let me just tell you this: I fear that today's message that's going out on the internet, people are going to grab snippets of it and post it out of context and make this look really, really bad. But I'm willing to take that risk to get truth out there. And again, there's some people that are here for the first time. Who we call? I told you we were in deep waters, and it's getting deep. But let me just tell you this: if You read through the Book of Romans; it doesn't get any easier as we go through this, because this is dealing specifically with the the epidemic of our society. A hate, hatred and a disdain for truth. Now, again, when he talks about those who hold the truth in unrighteousness, this is not an ignorance of truth, but a willful rebellion against and shutting down of the truth. This is not people who are like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. This is people who say, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but this is my truth. This is what's true for me. Or that doesn't apply to me because of X. Oh, yeah, well, the the Bible commands just people to stay married forever, but that was before, you know, things got really bad in our society. No. Again, it comes down to not ignorance. I didn't know any better. Look, Angela and I got married. um, I, I was 21 when we got married. I didn't know anything about anything. I, we didn't have any premarital counseling. I'd grown up in church, but I didn't know really what it meant to walk with Jesus. Uh, I was trying to stay away from big sin and live a moral life, but that's kind of all I knew. And I was just winging it, really. And we got into a Bible-preaching church, praise God. And I was confronted with the truth that as a husband, I'm a spiritual leader for my family. I'm a spiritual protector for my family. I'm a spiritual provider for my family, And that for the years that we've been married, that I was not doing those things. I was negligent and was failing my family. I didn't know that. And the moment that I realized that, I said, God, forgive me. I want to fix this. I didn't know any better. That's not what this is talking about. You see, God has some patience when it comes to ignorance. But he has zero tolerance for rebellion. Again, Paul, as he writes to Timothy, he says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor of the church, but I did it in ignorance out of unbelief. I didn't know any better. Acts chapter 17, he says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Again, it's one of those things that God's like, ah, you didn't know any better, I'm gonna give you a pass here. Now again, it doesn't mean that your sin was right, it just means you didn't know any better. I'm not gonna unleash my wrath on you just because you didn't know any better. But that's not what Romans chapter one, verse number 20 is talking about. They know the truth. They know what they're doing is wrong, yet they choose to suppress the truth so they can elevate their own truth. Problematic. So, three final thoughts, and we're done here today. First of all, let me ask you these questions. These are introspective questions for you. Have you placed yourself under the authority of the Word of God? Are you willing to say, whatever the Bible says, I'm going to do it? If the answer to that is no, then you have become the determiner of what is true. And let me just tell you this. If Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master, and you're kind of calling the shots as you want, and doing what you want, please understand, God is not God, you are. Because you've determined what you're going to obey, what you're not going to obey. What's true and what's not true. What's right and what's not right. Next, are there any areas of your life where you've created your own truth while suppressing the capital T truth? Any areas where you said, oh, that doesn't really apply to me. Let me just tell you this. Anytime you say, I know what the Bible says, but just just stop there. Because whatever you say is going to be a foolish statement. Because you believe that over the course of 4,000 years that the Bible was written, you have become the first case in all of biblical history that the Bible does not apply to your situation. You're a fool. Fool. Well, well, well my situation is different. Uh-uh. You're creating your own version of the truth. Well, well, my wife didn't make me happy, and so I deserve to be happy. Ah, you created your own version of the truth. Well... My kids don't like church, so I don't make them come to church. You've created your own version of the truth. My kids don't want to be led. My wife doesn't want to be led. You've created your own version of the truth. Careful with that. And finally, does your belief match your behavior? You say you believe the Bible. You say that you're a Christian. Does that actually add up? If someone were to watch your life, could they see... Christianity at work in your life? You claim to be a Christ follower. Do people see the spirit of Christ in you? Uh, Well, I try to be nice. No, no, no. Nice is not a fruit of the spirit. You know what it is? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, meekness and temperance. Do people see that in you? Or are you just saying that you're a Christ follower? Again, you ask anybody at large on the sidewalk, hey, are you a Christian? People say, oh, I believe in God, I'm a Christian. Nah, that's not the litmus test. The litmus test of whether or not you're a Christian isn't even have you prayed a prayer. The litmus test of if you are a Christian is a new life. Because if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. That's the litmus test of whether or not you're a Christ follower. Again, it's easy to say, well, I come to church once a week isn't that good enough (laughs) no god wants your heart to be changed Well, well how do i change my heart how does a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed therefore according to thy word jesus even said this sanctify them god his prayer to god was that god would sanctify us means wash us clean of our sins. Separate us for usefulness to the kingdom. Sanctify them by truth. And he says, thy word is truth. You want to find out what's true? Read the Bible. You don't find out what's true by watching TV or watching some new Netflix documentary or anything like that. Like, I watched a Netflix documentary on bacon one time. You know, it's just like, I don't make my dietary decisions based off of that bacon. I watched one on veganism one time it just absolutely fascinated me but i thought to myself like i could probably do that for about 24 hours that's about all i got in me you know like i need meat i need bacon you know just man, but i don't make life decisions based on what somebody told me or some documentary that i saw i make life decisions based on truth where do we find it in god's word most important thing in the world if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved Don't walk out here today without receiving the truth that Jesus died for you because he loves you. And for those of us that are saved, let's start making sure that our belief matches our behavior. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.